Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Little Church by the Sea, and just praying God meets all of your hearts this morning. I want to dedicate my message to a couple of folks, uh, to Richard Antioch, who used to come across the front of our church in his wheelchair um, for a number of years. He passed a couple of weeks ago. And then Laguna lost a long-time Lagoonan, uh, Jared Blackader, this weekend. I want to remember Jared. He never darkened the doors of our church, but he's just a part of Laguna. If he's a part of Laguna, he's a part of me. He, uh, he was a... Uh, his dad, uh, Doc, was in the Sadas, founding member of the Sadas Festival. His sister, Belinda, was on the Laguna Beach City Council. Uh, Jared was a booth builder and a booth tearer down at the Sadas, worked at security. And when my house burned in the firestorm in 1993, it was Jared in a backhoe that cleared off the old trees and everything that burned and set my uh, lot up ready to be built. So I want to remember the Blackader family because they're suffering. And, we're, we're, we're Laguna, and we remember those, whether they're coming to our church or not. That's just who we are as a people. We, hearts go out to everybody in this city, and we're, we're connected to them. Well, hmm, that's a nice little tune on that. <laughs> Actually, what I was going to say, it makes sense, because uh, uh, 44 years ago, on a rainy day uh, in the month of March, uh, Nikki and I joined our hearts together in marriage. And in fact, two weeks, we'll be married 44 years. The best man, <laughs> I, like, I like to brag about my wife. The best, the best man at our wedding was Jack Wheaton, who was the former chairman of the elder board of this church. And J. Michael Montgomery was the man who officiated our wedding. Uh, he also was, he was a, a senior pastor at this church back in the late 60s and, and early 70s. Well, when Nikki and I got back from our honeymoon in 1974, we lived in a little cottage at 414 uh, Canyon Acres Drive. Uh, it's where Nikki had been living while I courted her. It's a single-wall construction house, small, 750 square feet, uh, built in the late 1930s. It was quaint, and it was rustic, and it had one of those old-fashioned, low-hung ceilings in those old houses. Remember those low ceilings? And the reason for the low ceilings was that it would keep the heat in. After a few months of marriage, Nikki began to say, you know what, Jay? It would be so cool to take this ceiling out and open up our house, make it look real spacious. And I said, oh, babe, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I like our house. It's so cozy and, and warm and comfortable. But she said, just think about it. If we took the roof if we took the ceiling out, we'd see the open beam roof. We'd have this really all kinds of interesting things we could do. And I said, oh, okay, okay, I will think about it. Let me just think about it. And, and so I did think about it. And what I thought was, Lord, just help her to forget about the whole idea. <laughs> so 
then a little while later, I walked through the front door of my house and received the shock of my life because the entire ceiling was on the floor of my little cottage. It had been ripped out. There was plasterboard all over the floor. There was dust circling in the house. There was, I looked up, there was the frame of the ceiling and wood hanging off it and nails sticking out. And I said, Nikki, like, what happened? She said, I took the ceiling down. You did what? What did you do? She said, I took the ceiling down. Nikki, how did you take the ceiling down? Let me show you how she took the ceiling down. She said, I spent an hour doing this. And I got the whole ceiling down. I realized at that moment, I realized that this marriage of mine to this woman was going to be a complete, total roller coaster ride. <laughs> but sure enough, we opened up the ceiling and it turned out great. We, we redid our front room and put one by six tongue groove cedar on the walls and sandblasted the roof. It really turned out nice, just like I knew it would, because Nikki's an artist and and she's gifted at that sort of thing. But as you probably can tell, I, uh, my basic DNA, the way that I am, is I just don't like change. I like things the way, the way they've been. So Nikki taught me in, a, in doing dance lessons last year. And, I, and I, saw, I said, okay, I grudgingly said, okay, I'll do the dance lessons. And the dance lessons were every other Thursday at 3.30. And so I started doing these dance lessons every other Thursday at 3.30. And gosh, I started enjoying them. I kind of got in a rhythm, kind of a groove, you know, and learned four or five dances better. And then somebody changed the day. And they changed the time. That was it. No more dance <laughs> lessons. Sorry. That's just the way I am. Every once in a while, Nikki goes, time to move the furniture. Time to adjust the art on the wall. Time to get a new look. And I go, but babe, I just like my front room the way it is. It's just, I'm so comfortable here. <sighs> if I had my way, I would still be typing on one of those old manual black typewriters. It took Nikki years just to get me to an electric typewriter. And then after the electric typewriter, it took her years to get me to the first computer, the first laptop. And my head is still reeling from technology. I don't get it at all. If I could just go back to my little black manual typewriter, I'd be quite happy. I just like old stuff. I just like the way things have been, you know? I, I uh, collect antique newspapers. I love to watch the old black and white 30s and 40s movies on the Turner Classic movie station. I don't like the new movies. I don't like an F-bomb every other word in a movie. I, it's not entertainment to me. I don't like any book that was written after 1850. 
<laughs> Nikki, Nikki said to me the other night, like, Jay, like, how come all the books you read are old books? <laughs> I just keep reading the same old books over and over. Yeah, I can tell you about every word and every page of about 50 of my books. That's what I do. So this, this uh, behavior that I have about not liking this attitude, not liking change, it's not good. And we're going to see in our text today that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that the Pharisees, they don't like change at all. They, only, not, they not only don't like change, they don't like the man who's bringing the change, who's speaking the change. And let me just kind of give you a little proverb here that I've learned in my life. When God is in change, when whatever God's taking you through and he is in it, it is always usually somewhat difficult, but it's always worthwhile. When God's in the change, it may be difficult, but it's always worthwhile. All right, I love... Uh, I love the way we've been teaching. I don't know about you, but have you noticed we've been teaching little sections of the chapters, the last three or four chapters, small little stories. Instead of taking two or three, we've been taking just one. And we're going to take one little story now from the very end of chapter five in the Gospel of Luke. And I'll put the text up here on the wall for you so we all can read the same. This is, this is my, my uh, translation of... Luke chapter 5, it comes from six different Bibles. I put it together in which I thought it just really expressed the heart of the Greek in the best possible way, so we can all read the same thing. Very, very famous passage, mostly because of the last couple of verses, but let's, let's look at it and let's read. Let's remind ourselves <clears throat> that last week we saw the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees uh, and the religious rulers annoyed that uh, Jesus was eating with sinners. And, and the conversation continues now. <clears throat> and those same ones that were complaining to him about eating with tax gatherers and sinners, those same ones now are going to confront him or complain to him or criticize him again. And uh, let's read our text together. Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 39. The religious leaders said to Jesus, John's disciples, that would be John the Baptist's disciples, that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, born of Elizabeth. John's disciples practice praying and fasting, and so do this, the disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples go on eating and drinking. See, I love Jesus because he's always messing up with people's heads. They're fasting and his disciples are feasting. <laughs> they say, how come? Why, why is this? And Jesus answers, a great answer. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. When there's a wedding, you don't fast. You, you celebrate, you know, probably two or three times with the groom. You're not going to fast then. Jesus says, the wedding guests, while they're celebrating with the groom, they're not going to fast. But one day, he will be taken from them, and then they will fast. And there's all kinds of analogies in that one verse there. All kinds. Jesus is our bridegroom king, right? He, in the 
The book of Revelation is spoken of as a bridegroom king who will marry himself to the church. And that's not in this, but I'm just sewing that out there as, uh, as a freebie for you. And uh, indeed, one day, soon, two and a half years or so later, he's going to be taken away from them. And that's when the disciples will fast. Jesus is not making any sort of, uh, 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 any sort of comment about fasting that would be negative, because Jesus says in the Beatitudes, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites who let everyone know that they're fasting. But when you fast, wash your face and don't let anybody know you're fasting. And you will receive your reward from heaven for doing that. All right. Then Jesus says, I'm going to tell you two parables. First parable, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to try and patch an old garment. For then the new garment will be torn and the new patch won't match the old garment. But Jesus says, you don't have a used jacket over here and a brand new jacket here, and then you have a tear in the old jacket, so you cut out a piece of fabric from the new jacket and place it on the old jacket. Isn't going to work. Then he gives the famous parable on new wine. And there have been books, and there have been movements, and there have been churches born out of these next couple of verses. No one pours new wine into old wineskins because the new wine will burst the old skins and they will be ruined. New wine must be put into new wineskins. And no one used to drinking old wine wants to drink the new, certain that the old is better uh, than the new. Now, I've had pastors tell me, I said, hey, I heard that you moved on from here to this, from that church to that church. And they said, yeah, the, they were just uh, languishing in old wine. A pastor told me, languishing in old wine, and God wanted to bring new wine, and they weren't wanting the new wine because they liked the old better. And so they, you have this famous couple of verses here, used all the time for, for uh, reasons why somebody's going here or going there. But let me help you understand these two parables. Uh, I was talking to Mary French yesterday, and she said when she first was studying uh, Luke 5, she didn't quite understand what it all meant. So let me have the next slide, if I could, up there, Nan. What do the garments and new wine parables mean? Now, I got a kick the last time when Jeff was teaching, or Greg, I can't remember. I was in the back, and everybody's putting their cell phone up now, taking pictures of the PowerPoint. Everybody used to like, take notes like crazy years ago, and now they just take up their phone and go click, and you've got all the notes. I think it's pretty cool. I like it. So what, are they, what does this really mean, these, these two parables? What, what do they speak to us? Well, first, coming into this world, Jesus was offering something new, loving sinners. That was something new, because in the law, they were told, stay away from sinners. Don't sit with sinners. Don't associate with sinners. There was a new covenant of grace and forgiveness that Jesus was offering. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a covenant of rules and regulations and laws and legalism that they had been used to. Jesus was redefining spirituality, releasing fresh spiritual life in place of tedious, repetitious religiosity. 
Wow, that's a good line right there. Jesus was releasing fresh spiritual life into places of tedious, repetitious religiosity. And I'll say to you right now this morning that the Holy Spirit's desire is to release into any of your lives this morning, any of you who've been feeling dry or bored or feeling just like you're repeating kind of your, your religious activities from day to day and week to week and you're just kind of like in this kind of tough season and not, not experiencing real life that Jesus promised. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Life and that more abundantly. Abundant life. Jesus has come to give us. Amen. Isn't that the kind of life that he's offered? Abundant life, not just, not just a two on a scale of ten. You know, it's better than a one. He's come to give us a ten plus, plus, plus. New life. Spiritual new life. All right, let's talk about the garment first. It's, I, lo I, love, I love this patch word. Jesus didn't come to patch up an old system. No. The old system, though it was good for a season, he did not come to patch it up because you cannot fit old dead traditions into the fresh new life that Jesus was bringing. Now Jesus said he came to fulfill, and he did in fact fulfill all of the law that God gave, and it was good, except that the Pharisees of his day had taken all of these good laws and they had made their own traditions out of them, added to them, and made them what Jesus called burdens on people's backs. So now, within all of us, and you may not agree with this, but in many of us, in most of us, there is a religious nature. There's a religious nature in us. And it is that same kind of performance thing where we think in order to please God, we have to do A, B, C, D. We have to do these things. We have to do, I have to pray, I have to fast, I have to read my Bible, I have to do all these rules and regulations. And this is kind of what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ and nothing else. Christianity is an is a active, real, intimate, deep, personal connection and relationship with the living Jesus Christ, expressing his life through you. It is not a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And when you're living that, you don't want to do the stuff that God doesn't want you to do. But if you're trying to keep rules and regulations and you're not experiencing the abundance of life in you, you're not abiding in Christ, you're going to be bored and, and you're going to be finding church and Christianity uh, difficult. You're going to go, where's the life in this? The life is as if you've lost Jesus to some degree and you've gained a bunch of regulations and rules. Okay, so you cannot fit an old dead tradition into the fresh new life that Jesus brings. Because this is why. Jesus is going to burst the confines of the rigid legalistic system of rules and regulations. And this is what they couldn't stand. They had their rules and regulations, self-made, most of them, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, 
And when Jesus came and spoke about new life and the kingdom and God bringing something fresh and new, they couldn't take it. B, new wine represents all the new things that Jesus was going to bring and all the new things that would come after him. New wine represents Jesus himself, but it also represents the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 17 or 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, but be what? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek tense, it means be being filled every day, all the time. We are to be being filled, and we're experiencing the new wine that Jesus wants us to experience. He represents the coming of the Holy Spirit. Old wine represented the antiquated Old Testament system that was now, like I said, bogged down in legalism. The new wine represents the new covenant or the New Testament. Jesus brought a new covenant. He said this is not going to be a, a, the 613 laws of Moses. This new covenant will not be a covenant of do's and don'ts, of rules and regulations, but this new covenant that I'm going to offer will be a covenant of the what? Of the heart. I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside you. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's opened their heart to Christ and Jesus has come and lived in there, in their heart. Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. And if anyone will open it up, I will come in and I will have relationship with them. Amen. This is his desire for you. And if there's even just one person here this morning and you've ever, never opened your heart to Christ, I, I, I want you to know you're not opening your heart to a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. You're opening your heart to the living Christ. And you will experience a connection and relationship that is so mind-blowing, you can't believe it. And if you're not experiencing that, and you have asked Jesus in before, today is a day for you to say, Lord, I want to re-give you my life, re-give you my heart, re-consecrate myself to you. New wine represents the new covenant and the New Testament, which is what our Bible is called, the New Testament and the Old Testament, and the old wine represents the old covenant or the Old Testament. Finally, you cannot put or patch new ideas into the hearts of stubborn old mindsets. So I, would, I guess I could call myself kind of a stubborn old mindset. Like I, I balk. You know what the word balk means? Against the next suggestion that Nikki's going to make of any kind of significant change because I have a stubborn old mind. <laughs> well, they definitely did. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a disclaimer here. Like, I'm wide open to change uh, in the Lord. I'm wide open to God doing something fresh and new. I don't care. Like, Ted Bishop, one of our old elders who now lives up in, on Whidbey Island, he said he had this vision of, of the church with the roof off and... and uh, light shining out of the church and the glory of God filling the church and stuff was happening. I'm going, yeah, I'm for that. I'm for whatever God wants to do. Like, I like Pentecostal Christianity. I like charismatic Christianity. I like conservative Christianity. I like fundamental Christianity. 
I like the contemplative part of Christianity, and I like the shouting and let's go for it Christianity. I like all of it. And we're a church that has a little bit of everybody in it. And it's good for us to have a church with a little bit of everybody in the church. Because I don't want to be in a church in which everybody is like Bill Darno. I do not want to be in that church. <laughs> See, I could pick Bill because he's one of my good friends. I want to be in church where there's a Bill Darnell, and there's a Nikki Grant, and there's a Trevor Stimson, you know, and there's a Mary Dean. I want to be in church where there's lots of different uh, giftings and callings and persuasions, you know, people who like this and like that, and we all can all fit together. All right, so bringing this home to us, what does it mean to you and I? How can we apply this message that we read in Luke to ourselves? So here's what we can learn from the passage. This is what I've gleaned from it, that there's a huge difference, as I've been saying, between a life-giving spirituality and religion, between Christ and rules and regulations. Now, I've traveled in ministry all over the world, or traveling with Nikki, all over the world, and wherever you go, you're going to find a church building, or you're going to find an altar, or you're going to find a mosque, or you're going to find some kind of place of worship. Everywhere you go, there's some kind of place of worship. Like I said, within man, there is a desire to worship something. And so that's not the issue. The issue is, what are you going to worship, and who do you choose to worship? So Jesus brought something new. He brought something fresh to us in this world. And I think that we sometimes, like right on the cusp of really experiencing the abundance that God wants to give us, and we just get stuck sometimes in our old ways, like I do. Secondly, we need to be open to change, to what God might want to do new in your life, or what God might want to do new in my life. We need to be open. So I've just listed a couple of areas that popped into my head as I was doing Making, uh, creating this message, does your marriage need to change? Is it stuck? Now, I'm not speaking to those of you who are having bad marriages. I'm speaking to those of you who are having good marriages. Actually, I'm speaking to all of you who might be married. I'll guarantee you there's room for improvement and for change. Yeah, Nikki suggested to me a couple weeks back, let's take a road trip to Arizona. That's, a good, that's going to be a good change for us. We're going to go, I'm going to go see some, some spring baseball games there, and we're going to do some fun stuff. And, and uh, where does your marriage need to change? Is it stuck in any way? Secondly, do you think, does your thinking need to change? Have you been too negative? Have you been, because okay, so do some of you ever find yourself falling into a kind of a negative syndrome about your thinking? I do once in a while. Does your thinking need to change? Have you been too negative? Does your worship of God need to change? How many of you felt this morning as we were singing Passion for God? As Jeff said, this is one of our great worships. Well, and there's Nan in the back just raising her hands going, yeah, I was feeling it. I was feeling it. If you weren't feeling it this morning with that worship set, I don't know when you're ever going to feel it. I've said this a few times. A.W. Tozer said, if you don't learn to worship God here on earth, you're not going to be ready for heaven because there's a lot of worship going on in heaven. <laughs> D, 
Are there areas of sin or compromise that need to end? Are you like pushing the boundaries, the limits of some of the things that you know God doesn't want you to be involved in? Are you compromising areas of your faith? Today, today would be a good time to end that and make the change in which you say to God, God, I'm going to let all of those things go. I'm going to make the change in which you and you alone are my life. All these other little trappings, I'm going to say no to. And finally, do you need a change of heart? Some of you, and you know, in the last three months, it's been true of me even, some of us just need to return to our first love. You know, in the second chapter of Revelation, where Jesus says, to the church at Ephesus. He says, you're all doing so many good things. Gosh, you're working hard. You're testing these, uh, these leaders that aren't really true leaders. You're doing so many uh, excellent things, great things, but I have this to say to you. You've left your first love. Who here needs to return to that first love, that first passion of God? Do you remember how excited you were you said yes to Jesus and you received that brand new life. Who here needs to return to their first love? Reminds me of the time of courtship, you know, where you just, just can't think of anything else. You, you are so enamored with this person that you've met that you love. This is, what, this is what I feel God would say to some of us this morning do you need to return to your first love where Jesus was exciting and joy and love and peace were flowing out of your hearts? Yeah. I think it's time for some of us. Might just be preaching this message to myself for sure because I am a very active person. But to find that sweet spot, that sweet place of just returning to my first love. Really, God, that's really what God is looking for in all of this.